Welcome to the Hot Topic Bold Talk Podcast. Dr. Jacqueline is opening a forum for us to discuss opinions on the topics currently trending today. She's also going to share her experience with unique and diverse books that will encourage us all to think differently about the world and change our lives for the better. Together, we cover hot topics and get into the nitty gritty of how they affect our lives. All in the friendly and engaging tone so that you feel comfortable listening, even if it's not your favorite topic. This podcast is the perfect blend of knowledge and fun. We discuss everything and anything that matters today. Don't settle for the same old stuff. Get in on the conversation. Hello, my name is Dr. Jacqueline, and I'm from DTP Leadership Group. This is podcast Hot Topic Bold Talk. This is podcast 48 for me, and I've titled it, What Will It Take to Protect the Foundation of Our Democracy? And then my solution is going to show you how I discovered some things about anti-Trumpers and Republicans who defy Trump that can truly tell us how to save our democracy from Trump and his mega Republicans. You know, I, I, I have felt concerned and frustrated and anxious about what has happened with the Republican Party. I started searching for articles goals that could give you and me information that will allow us to understand what is happening in our country. And I found three articles in the week magazine of August 18, 2023, volume 23, issue 1144, that provide us with the information needed. There's also a fourth article by the Conversations newsletter of August 17, 2023, at 9.21 a.m., which also gives facts that allow us to see the impact of the change that has occurred in the Republican Party. And you may be surprised about these four articles since they seem so different. I believe they give us the pieces to the puzzle about how we have gotten where we are in the U.S. And these, and as you piece together the transparency of ideas from these four articles, I believe you will see a pathway to seeing what we need to do to protect the foundation of our democracy in America. Now, the first article I'm using from the week, the August 18th, 2023 week, is entitled Mega Are Elitists to Blame for populism. Now, here's the factual data that comes from this article. We anti-Trumpers assume we're the good guys, said David Brooks in the New York Times. But if you look at the country from the perspective of the working class, we're the bad guys. In recent decades, globalization and the modern 
society has rewarded people with elite connections and college degrees while making rural blue-collar Americans poorer and marginalized. Elites segregate ourselves into uh, a few booming better areas and support policies that help ourselves. Free trade makes our products cheaper if it's and it and if it sends blue-collar jobs overseas, it has an even greater impact. Open uh, immigration makes labor and service workers easier to afford. At the same time, urban elites have embraced rapid cultural change on gender, marriage, and sexuality while scorning traditionalists as reactionary bigots for resisting. With all that in mind, it's easy to understand why less educated Americans feel under economic, political, cultural, and moral assault and have rallied around Trump to wage war on the educated class. And let me go on with the rest of this article because it gave me a lot of insight uh, about what was happening uh, with the supporters of Trump. The primary reason for Trumpism appeal is not economics, said Zach Bochamp in Vox. Dozens of studies since 2016 confirmed that the racial and cultural resentments and loss of status are far, far more important to Trump supporters than bad wages. I think that's extremely important that the racial and cultural resentments and the loss of status are far, far more important to Trump supporters than bad wages. The end of segregation, non-white immigration, FEMA's challenges to the patriarchy, the LGBT movement, and a decline in religiosity all make millions of white Americans feel unmoored from their country. The election of the first black president was a breaking point. A large percentage of Trump's uh, supports are not laid off factory workers, but local business owners, plumbers, and auto salesmen earning good wages, while a majority of Biden's 2020 supporters did not have college degrees. Brooks also ignores the role of the predatory rapist capitalism, said Robert uh, Kuttner in The American Pro uh, Prospect, who destroyed working-class factory towns, decimated the labor movement, and shipped jobs overseas. And he says it sure as hell wasn't English professors or lesbian activists. If America's elites do bear some blame, as uh, Christina Katuroksi in Slate uh, says, how can we right the wrongs? To boost social mobility, we could raise the federal um, um, minimum wage, guarantee universal uh, pre-K and paid family leave, back, back, bring back the pandemic era of child tax credit, 
ensure that conception and abortion are freely available and make college more affordable through beefed up giant programs. And the article is ended by, these, by the way, are the political priorities of anti-Trumpist. And I think David uh, Brooks has an excellent set of statements that he's made here that give real clear message to me what's going on with Trump supporters. The next article I chose was Republicans Who Saved the Country under Henry Olson, who's from the Washington Post. And that's also in the week that I mentioned magazine. And this is what he says. It was Republicans who saved democracy in 2020, said Henry Olson. The latest indictment of Donald Trump highlights the fact that his efforts to overturn the election were blocked by Republican leaders at every level who put country over party. In Georgia, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger repeatedly refused Trump's threatening demands that he find enough votes to overturn his state's results, while Governor Brian Kemp flatly turned down Trump's request to create a false slate of electors. The same is true of elected officials in Arizona and Michigan. When Trump took his claims of widespread election fraud to court, Trump and Republican-appointed judges ruled there was no evidence to support his claims. Meanwhile, inside the Trump administration itself, Attorney General William Barr and the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, told a furious Trump there was no evidence of fraud, and Vice President Mike Pence refused to bend to Trump's pressure to change or postpone the official counting of the Electoral College votes. If a dozen key Republicans had been partisan instead of patriotic, multiple state election results would have been overturned, throwing the country into chaos. Their courage and honesty preserved the rule of law. So again, I have another piece of factual data to remind myself that there are Republicans that help save our democracy. The next article I found, also in the week, was very clear to me that I had missed some information. And it's entitled, Trump's Lifelong Lifetime of Racism by William Bunch of the Philadelphia Inquirer. How fitting that Donald Trump now faces a charge of violating the Ku Klux Klan laws, said uh, Will Bunch. The January 6th indictment in includes the charge that they that that by attempting to negate the votes of millions of people in cities with large black populations like Atlanta, Detroit, and Philadelphia, Trump violated statutes from the 1870s aimed at the Ku Klux Klan's efforts to disenfranchise black citizens. His father, Fred, was arrested in 1927 for joining a thousand Ku Klux Klan members marching through Queens, New York. In 1973, the federal government sued Fred and Donald 
for discriminating against African-Americans seeking to rent their apartments. The younger Trump sought to raise his political profile in 1989 with a full-page news, newspaper ad demanding the death penalty for five Black teens accused in the Central Park rape case. They were later exonerated. In 2011, Trump falsely claimed that the company's Black president was born in Africa and was thus ineligible. His 2016 campaign was based on exploiting fears about Muslims and Mexicans. In 2020, Trump's defenders attacked the Capitol while waving Confederate battle flags. There is a straight line between the Ku Klux Klan and the twisted presidency of Donald Trump. And I'd never read a lot of these facts, so I, maybe you know it, but I did not know it. I just know that this can be very helpful when talking to Trump Republicans because they don't hear these kind of things because they don't make themselves available to read materials like this or uh, to uh, hear things that are contradictory of him. So by presenting it, they've got a problem. And I'll talk about that later. The Conversations newsletter is that I cited in the introductory paragraph. And if you need any assistance in finding some of these resources, um, you have an opportunity to connect with me. And so I'll be happy to give them to you. And here's what the conversation said. With all the debate raging in Florida on how, to, how slavery should be taught in public schools, it's always good to distinguish old-fashioned facts from modern-day political spin. Such is the case in Florida, where state uh, school officials want to paint George Washington as a key figure in the quest to end slavery. Nothing could be farther from the truth. As a historian of slavery, Calvin Schumann uh, Horn, Schumann Horn, from Arizona State University explains, Washington owned 577 black people over the course of 50 years and kept detailed records on how they were treated and in some cases rewarded for overseeing other enslaved people. But for the majority of these enslaved, including those with skills in carpentry or delivering babies, the benefits they received did not include freedom. If there's anyone who knew the rewards of slavery, it was George Washington. Schumann writes, my research has shown that Washington's efforts to free black pale in comparison to how he fought to keep black people enslaved. Conversations also provides a connection to another article about George Washington, which is entitled, what Florida gets wrong about the George Washington and the benefits he received from enslaving back black people. Here is the summary of the factual data provided in that article. If there was anyone who knew the rewards of slavery, it was George Washington. Over a period of 50 years, the nation's first president enslaved about 577 black Americans, starting when he was 11 years old. One of them was a black man named Moses who was skilled 
in carpentry and became an overseer of other enslaved men and women working on a farm at Washington's Mount Vernon estate in Virginia. Though Morris's skills afforded him a few extra benefits, he was still unable to buy what he coveted most, which is freedom. Despite the existence of public records that revealed Washington's treatment of Morris and other human property owned, Florida officials want public school educators to instead emphasize Washington's efforts to abolish slavery. Now, let me go on about Washington's benefits from slavery. After marrying the widow, Martha Curtis, in 1759, Washington had big plans for Mount Vernon. Not content to grow only cut, uh, tobacco, he diversified, planting over 60 crop varieties and producing value-added products like flour, beer, and whiskey. In addition to operating five separate units, Washington wanted to nearly triple the size of his Mount Vernon mansion, which was started at 3,500 square feet and went up to 11,000 square feet. To accomplish that goal, Washington put skilled enslaved carpenters like Morris to work. Washington hadn't paid anything for Morris or his carpentry uh, training. Morris was born enslaved to Martha Curtis's first father-in-law, and when Curtis and uh, Washington got married, the fruits of Morris's labor became Washington's property. By the time Washington bought him to Mount Vernon in Virginia's Fairfax County, Morris was 30 years old and had already trained as a carpenter in a nearby New Kent uh, County. In addition to using black enslaved people, Washington hired white overseers to deploy their utmost in endeavors to hurry and drive black workers. The work never ended for enslaved uh, black people because he took these um, skilled laborers who were scarce in, uh, in the county, and he put them to work with other neighbors to make more money once their work was finished in Mount Vernon. According to the economist, Philema A. Sandy Dartry Jr. and folklorist A. Christ uh, Kristen Mullen, the lowest wage wages cost generations of African Americans the modern equivalent of 14 trillion in stolen income. Now, let me describe what the life uh, was for an enslaved overseer. Morris may not have wanted to oversee a dozen other enslaved workers, but Washington held out a carrot. Morris's wife, Hannah, an enslaved woman who worked on another farm, could come live with him. And Washington permitted only one in three married people to live together at Mount Vernon. Morris oversaw teams of farm workers, making sure other enslaved people kept shouldered to the plow. Morris accounted for tools, 
responding to emergencies when a cape and was accountable for thefts and runaways. When a killing frost struck in 1768, he had to control damage. He had all the headaches of a middle management person with a small fraction of the pay and no ability to move on. After two seasons, Washington started paying my overseer, quote, Morris, about one-tenth the salary of a free overseer. That brought Morris and Hannah a few comforts, but wasn't enough to save any money. Unlike white uh, uh, overseers who could parlay a few years' uh, wages into their own farms, Morris and Hannah built no wealth. And a path to freedom was out of the question, even though his master called the farm Morris. Based on Morris's success, Washington promoted other enslaved people into management. David uh, Gary was about 16 years old when Washington brought him to Mount Vernon from his home in Hanover County, 80 miles away. By the time Morris turned 27, he had become the overseer of Washington's mill tract farm and went on to manage other farms for three decades. Whenever Mount Vernon had management trouble, Gray filled in. But unlike the white overseers, Gray couldn't quite uh, quit and start his own farming business. Let me tell you more about Washington's legacy on slavery. After winning the American Revolution, Washington expressed hesitation over slavery, but said of the children he enslaved, I quote, I expect to reap the benefits of their labor myself. Washington recognized black talent if he didn't reward it. While president, he commended Ray and wrote that he carries on his business as well as the white overseers and with more quietness than any of them. That same year, Greg begged his master to no avail for adequate goods, reporting that what his people received was not sufficient and that to his certain knowledge, several of them would often be without a mouthful of food for a day. Despite opposition from the abolitionists, as president, Washington signed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 that authorized federal police power to recapture runaway human property. In one instance, Washington doggedly pursued one of his wife's enslaved maids for nearly 50 years. Ona Judge escaped, and she never returned to enslavement. In his will, Washington set free 123 enslaved people, including a black woman named Kate, who was old and presumably freed in 1799, the year Washington died. Kate became a midwife at Mount Vernon and performed surgery on infants. She was married to another enslaved manager named Will. When she applied for the job of midwife or granny, she argued that she was full as as well qualified for this purpose as those into whose hands it was entrusted. At that time, Washington was paying about what an entry-level nurse earns earns today to Mount Vernon white uh, midwives who were married to white overseers. 
Though Kate got the job with all the responsibility of delivering babies, she received no pay. She did receive her freedom, but her husband will, David Gray, and Morris did not. Morris died at the age of 66 on the farm he managed for 25 years. Like Morris, Gray was property of the heirs of Martha Washington and likely ended his days enslaved by one of Martha's grandchildren. So here's my conclusion. Here's what I think these four articles provide us. And I'll start with the first article about uh, mega, our, our leaders to blame for uh, populism. I think in this article by David Brooks what the, uh, from the New York Times, he made it clear what we have done. Urban elites have embraced rapid cultural change on gender, uh, marriage, and sexuality, while we have scorned traditionalists as reactionary bigots for resisting. And with all that in mind, it's easy to understand why less educated Americans feel assaulted, whether it's on an economic, political, cultural, or moral level. And that's the reason they rallied around Trump, to wage a war on the educated class. The primary reason for Trump's appeal is not economics, which I've already named by Zach uh, Bochamp and Vox. Dozens of studies since 2016 confirmed that racial and cultural resentments and loss of status are far more important to the Trump supporter than bad wages. And as anti-Trumpers and those Republicans who defy Trump, we have the opportunity to boost the social uh, mobility by changing and increasing the federal uh, minimum wage by guaranteeing universal pre-K and paid family leave, bringing back the pandemic era child tax credit and ensuring that contraception and, uh, and abortion are freely available and make colleges more affordable with grant programs. And this, that I want y'all to understand is truly the, uh, the political priorities of anti-Trumpers. I think it's not been as clear, and he has made it very clear in uh, this article by David Brooks. The next thing that I had to realize is some Republicans did help to save our democracy, and this was well described previously by me and the Republicans who saved the country by Henry Olson from the Washington Post. And I will tell you, after reading that article, I thought we need a, a way to find to converse with Republicans and talk about the actions they took to find a way to stop the mega Republicans and Trump. Here's what really got my attention. And again, I'm repeating something from this article to make my point. The latest indictment of Donald Trump highlights the facts that his efforts to overturn the election were blocked by Republican leaders at every level who put country over party. And again, I want to name the Secretary of State in Georgia refused Trump's demands to 
um, threatening demands. The governor, Brian Kemp, flatly turned down Trump's uh, request to create a, a, a false slate of electors. And there were many other uh, Republicans, whether it was in Arizona or Michigan or in various places, and including in his own uh, administration, telling him this election was not fraudulent. In the article, Trump's Lifetime of Racism by William Bunch of the Philadelphia Inquirer gives us the reason we see multiple examples of Trump's racism and his father's racism. Trump's effort to raise his political profile in beginning in 1989, was based on racist actions. His speeches that support militia groups and his attacks on anyone that is not white, racist, and committed to fighting woke organizations is, I know, a form of brainwashing. I have a PhD in counseling psychology, so I've been watching this for years because I have dealt with cult survivors and I know what it's like for them. And I think his supporters, they only listen to him, watch only Fox News, and their hatred is intensified by his comments about people of color, LGBTQ+, plus, uh, members of that community, and any citizens in the United States that do not support him. He's always blasting anyone that doesn't support him. I doubt seriously any mega Republican has ever seen Trump's history of racism. And I think the conversation in this article puts a connection to another article about George Washington on what uh, Florida gets wrong about George Washington, the benefits he received from enslaving back black people. I think it shows us how he benefited from slavery and it shows us the cruelty and horrific disrespect he had for black people. My belief is that we have uh, no chance at this point of impacting mega Republicans since they are lost in the rhetoric of the cult that Trump has created. Our efforts are best spent by talking with Republicans who, su who support our democracy and will stand up to Trump. It's important for us to share these articles that are in this podcast with anyone who's Republican and who is open to discussion. The story of George Washington presented in this podcast cannot be denied. I have found when people are provided data they have not seen before, then it cracks the foundation of their support of Trump and it starts cracking it. The facts they receive about slavery, which cannot be ignored, continue to form doubt in their minds. And I've seen it over and over again when I've worked with uh, or had mega Republicans in my program. The more facts they get and the more they can't deny it, the more they start doubting what's happening and what they've supported. The facts they receive about slavery, I, they just can't be denied. And I encourage you to listen again to this podcast so you can gain facts you can use in discussions where it's evident that the person you're talking with is not basing their attitudes and beliefs on factual data. And I've had experiences like that where I've been given 
I'll ask, where where is the resource that you got this information from? And they don't have any. So when I provide them factual data, then they they have any way, they have really no way to argue with me about the positions I'm presenting. And I've seen this work. When you provide facts with the printed word and have discussions about the articles, it is much harder for the person to hang on to the lies Trump has fed them and the misperceptions provided by Fox News. Since they cannot erase what you've said to them, it stays with them. And I'll tell you, I had an, a situation with an individual who continued to call me and try to justify Trump because he was so disturbed by what he had learned in one of my programs. So there are ways, and I think these four articles show us a pathway to defending our democracy and to stopping some very insane behavior patterns that are happening with Trump and some of, of and some that are a part of supporting him um, and wanting to destroy the original process and concepts that the Republican Party held for many, many years. They are truly destroying it. Thank you for listening to the Hot Topic Bold Talk podcast. Now remember to get in on the conversation, head on over to patreon.com slash Dr. Jacqueline. Bye for now. Thank you.